0: Hello, I am Cody Ellingham, and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. This show is brought to you by Swarbricks, the first law firm in New Zealand to accept Bitcoin for legal services. The team at Swarbricks are Bitcoiners, and they are knowledgeable about the legal aspects of Bitcoin in New Zealand in areas like estate planning, property, and trusts. Swarbricks offers a 20% discount for services paid in Bitcoin. Find out more at swarbricks.co.nz bitcoin. Now, in today's episode, I share a conversation I had on Darcy Ongaro's podcast, NZ Everyday Investor. Darcy has kindly allowed me to share this show with you here, and I am on the other side of the mic, talking about my thoughts on housing in New Zealand, what it means to be a sovereign individual, and some bold reckonings about the future of the nation-state project. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to get in touch with me please send an email to hello at the transformation of and I will get back to you otherwise on to the show
1: I was listening to um the one with the um couple that moved to El Salvador that was a really cool episode
0: oh with Nikki and James
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah thank yeah.
1: you yeah no no I understand I understand now I understand <laughs> I um to, I'm totally totally on board with with your headspace as well. Like I I, I get it. And that, that's pr- probably helped me for just kind of thinking about how to, how to approach this one here. Um, um, so yeah, like the the idea that I thought maybe of starting it would be just a start off of like most of what I do just assumes that everybody wants to buy property, like in my professional day job. So when I encounter someone who is toying with the idea that yeah, Maybe that's not even needed. It's not a good idea, or even I just don't even want to. It's a bit of a kind of like a a shocking one. So I thought maybe we could start with that, right? Like, is it if it's true, why wouldn't you want to buy a home? We might as well just start on that, shall we, Cody?
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) we're talking about we're talking about it as if it's a commodity. I think these conversations around home ownership, it's um, you know, it's kind of really made it into into a product. Uh, it's made it into um, a financialized asset Um, but really what we're talking about here is home right and there's something much more deeper to what that means and and I think fundamentally and and I think as we go through this conversation we'll sort of unravel that but you know what does home mean Um, and how does changes in the way we perceive home affect the way we uh, engage with society how we engage with each other and and some of the longer term consequences of the financialization and kind of unattainability of, of this thing we call home yeah. um, and so really for me I think home along with family is the basis of society um, despite what the government may tell you, I mean we are you know, social creatures, we have family uh, we have extended family and, and, and kind of home is a situation the context where that exists um, yeah. and sort of where you call home and your relationship to your ability to um, access there I think really has some profound consequences so uh, I guess sort of circling back a little bit to sort of where this came from I um, my background as you may know is, is photography right I lived overseas for many years I was doing architecture photography photographing homes and kind of the lived experience and that sort of turned into an exploration of, of kind of the state of, of housing in various places so I did my first book about, uh, public housing in Japan, you know um big you know huge uh, apartment building uh, houses that were built after the war and and kind of exploring this idea of you know the places we call home and so I've done a couple of series on New Zealand houses, one of them of which was featured by The Guardian um, uh, about a year ago. Cool. and you know this kind of idea of of place and space is you know kind of the visuals of it really inspires me and I think with with home and with houses we, we sort of <laughs> we, we have this relationship with it now that it's it's something you invest in it's uh yeah you know getting on the ladder this kind of language we use and i i, I think just to begin with there's something quite problematic about that yeah um you, you know what i mean
1: <laughs> well you let, let's let's put it side by side because i know i know where you're coming from and i know that like often when i'm helping people to get into their first home or their next home. It's this curious blend of financial and lifestyle that that gets melded in there. And it's as much of a financial decision or an investment decision as it is about staking their claim into some sort of physical space so that they feel safe and they feel protected so that they can build something bigger. But when you approach that word called home – from a slightly different perspective, based on your experiences, what what does it conjure up in, inside of your mind?
0: Well, I, I, I think you know home for me, and you know, I grew up in the Hawke's Bay, and you know I've got these kind of images, you know, childhood, these kinds of you know associations with home. And for me, really, home personally is is my grandparents' place in, in Hastings. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the only place that's been kind of consistent throughout my life um, as a as a destination. You know, my family moved house many times. But in terms of a home that I can identify with, um, you know, and, and that's kind of the nature. You know, my family were renting for many years as I was growing up, and so we kind of moved around. Um, and my, my parents have their own place now, but you know, there's there's not that lineage to the land and to to a place uh, like I have, say, with my grandparents' place. So for for me, that's kind of my, I guess. Um, you know personal relationship to it and then that that sort of sits i think in a very, in a place of nostalgia uh, you know in a in a kind of a beautiful a beautiful place in my memories but the reality reality of it today i was you know looking on trade me last night and just to kind of get an idea of what's going on and um really it's still you know the market or whatever you you know has has cooled off so to speak but it, really i'm i'm over it you know the it's it's not it's not about the price you know like i think places where you know it's it's maybe you know kind of in a distant reality affordable um but it's sort of the value proposition's not there for me you know like it's um you know you're looking you know for you know say it's it's you know hundreds of thousands of dollars you know and and you know close getting closer to a million for something that's you know livable yeah what you can get or you know what you're paying and what you get it's like i don't know there's just this huge gap and it's only because it's been financialized that we can kind of ascribe that value that dollar value to it um you know always there will always be demand for you know property that's close to a city or that's in a desirable location but yeah i know it's just sort of this market forces have you know they've done their thing and you know it's a financialized asset and it's the best way to invest and historically has been
1: let's break down that word sorry let's just break down that word for those that that are kind of coming into this cold maybe like that when we're saying that It's financialized. I guess what we're really saying is that it's a financial like as an asset and it's an asset specifically that banks will take as security in exchange for giving you more money than what you've saved up to be able to own it so they will lend against that property and over time that act of lending against property secured by property effectively turns property into a financial asset um unless you have a a better definition than that does that make sense
0: yeah no yeah i mean that's that's pretty onto it and i think you know we're talking about that really what it is is there's a a utility you know to a house you know it's, it's a roof and you know keeps you warm and you know this kind of um basic uh Thing, But then on top of that, the financialization of it, which makes it into a speculative asset, into a store of wealth. And that's probably the one that's most problematic is as a store of wealth. Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine the headaches that, you know, are involved with, with managing that. I mean, but yeah. it's, you know, it's not liquid. Um, it's, you know, not fungible. You know, every house is unique. Every house requires a, 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 a you know, a structural mm-hmm. report. You know, there's all of these kind of challenges to actually, you know, having that as a store of wealth and so something like bitcoin obviously as we've talked about before is you know is a much a superior store of wealth um however the the financialization of that has has had this kind of um, perverse effect where you've got um you know people unable to live in houses because of the the, you know the dollar value on it has you know just gone uh, ballistic over the last few decades yes and and yeah and that creates this kind of you know other bubbling effects this sort of second order effects which i think um, and i should sort of outline you know that that this is a reality you know i'm not i'm not i don't think there's a political solution to this and i'm not interested in a political solution that the, the, the horse has bolted yeah. um you know i think there's emerging kind of discussions you know in, in sort of my friend circle you know you've got kind of green party stuff you know kind of oh you know let's let's tax this let's tax that and like, i i don't i'm not coming at it from that angle i'm just kind of over the whole thing and and i'm looking at what the next thing is
1: yes okay well let's talk, talk a little bit about as much as you're comfortable, like a little bit about yeah, yeah. Your, your personal circumstances in terms of what you, if you were looking to buy a home, and don't worry, this isn't like a, you know, a come to Jesus sort of intervention moment where six of your friends show up and say, hey, come on, Cody, you need to buy a home now. Grow up, dude. It's nothing like that. But so I'm not trying to trick you into, into you know changing your view at all, but I just want to understand like from an age and stage point of view, do you feel like you are kind of, you want to be free to explore the countries and and you don't really want to be pinned down at this stage or and then therefore you're justifying your views around home ownership for some other reason or do you really feel like it's genuinely about the fact that it's financialized and you feel locked out and you just don't i think your words were you're just over it
0: yeah well i mean so i guess the context for this and again i mean there's there's so much to break down here but like in the new zealand context right there's uh you know i think an the 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 value proposition is is not there does that mean that i i i don't want to own a home no i mean i uh, you know uh are actively interested in um uh, japan you know I'll, I'll be going back there in october oh, cool. and to get you know to give you some context you know there's some really beautiful parts of japan like when i was there in may um a place called nagano which is beautiful people go there for skiing and, and all sorts of things it's like um honestly it's like uh, you know, Queenstown, you know, that that level of beauty, natural beauty and, and just, you know, it's a really nice place, really friendly people. You know, I, I can get a house there for a hundred thousand dollars, you know, and um it's it's an old farmhouse, it's got maybe some land, um, you know, in in, in the pine forests, you know, beautiful landscape. Um a lot of the what they call Bessel, which is like kind of like the batch, but you know, in the mountains that Japanese people had kind of in the eighties and nineties, and a lot of those places are coming up for sale as, you know japan japan's population shrinks and you know a lot of these houses come up for sale mm. i mean i know that's waiting waiting there for me you know i'm not i'm not worried about owning a home one day and look maybe you know we'll, we'll live in japan uh, you know uh and, and 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 do that thing over there um mm. you know there's other parts of the world that really interest me as well so it's, it's not about not owning a home or not it's it's i think it's specifically the new zealand context of yeah. What, you know, what I get for $800,000, $900,000 is, is a moldy house in Upper hut that's falling apart and it's got, you know, black mold. That, that's sort of the context I'm coming at this from. And sure. the fact that people are going to climb over each other to get that, or they were at least until recently, yeah. uh, you know, in that space. And, yes. and then you look at the broader sort of context of New Zealand, like what, what's the future of this country look like? And do you want to be committed to, the, to that for the long term? I think yeah. there's just a, a lot there. Yeah. You know okay, what Okay, I mean?
1: well let's let's dig into that because what what you're basically saying is that the reason why the price is what it is is a mixture of the fact that it's financialized and it kinda of, it's part of this pyramid scheme, sorry, it's part of a pyramid scheme which is basically connected to our fiat based financial system. So that's why prices always go up. But then there is this reinforcing perpetuating belief that there's a value that we should all be ascribing in, like we should all be thinking property is valuable, but when you look at it, you're going at it going, well, I just don't see it. So it's not just about the fact that maybe it's expensive to get in, there's something about the fact that it probably ties you into not only that property, because now you're a slave to the man, slave to the mortgage provider, and you have to work usually locally, usually, to be able to afford to get the mortgage, you're kind of now trapped inside of that home by, by the bank, which is inside a country or jurisdiction that increasingly you might not feel super comfortable with. Am, am I getting closer?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of things to it. And, and I think part of it is, you know, the nation building project. You know, I was having to think about this. You know, really, I think the idea of New Zealand is anachronistic. Like, we're not, you know we're not in a New Zealand state anymore. You know we're we're in this globalized uh, economy. Um, you know we happen to be these islands in the Southern Pacific, um, and and some of us are lucky to be able to work internationally. But you know I look at the destruction happening with the rural sector. You know and just you know blind government policy. You know New Zealand is based on the price of milk. You know and this country was built on the back of sheep and and cattle pretty much and there's kind of this dissonance and this um you know this kind of mega political social trends that are at play which sort of see the foundations of the country being rocked and, and I just don't think people are really aware of that and I think there's a certain degree of naivety um you know I, I'm not super well traveled but I've traveled enough to sort of look at back at New Zealand and think you know we're a developed nation you know we've got good systems but you know I, I talk to people about Thailand I talk to people about Taiwan or Japan or whatever and and they think, and they sometimes look at me funny. I'm like, you know, like a lot of these countries have much better infrastructure than New Zealand, you know, by degrees. And um, some of them, you know, a lot of people would consider still, you know, developed, uh, developing, um, you know, something like Thailand, you know, it's, 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 it's a developed country in a way, but it's, it's got developing aspects. But a lot of it is still, you know, far superior to what we have in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, there's this, I don't know, kind of island mentality. Um and, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to break down there, but the, the island is, you know, based on agriculture, based on exports, and we're destroying that sector. And so we have this, you know, housing market, which is, you know, the, 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 this huge wealth store. Um, it's yeah. based on basically, you know, selling and buying houses off each other or renting and renting houses off each other. We have yeah. a productive economy, which is, I think, got a lot of issues, and there's a lot of structural changes that are coming into play, you know, with, with emissions, trading, all of that stuff. Yeah, and then the, the, there's just not this awareness that we, you know, that that's all connected. Um, yeah. And I try not to be doomer about it. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways this c- could go, but I just don't see the the nimbleness and the dynamism here that's going to be able to successfully navigate, um, you know, the changes that are coming.
1: Okay. Um, just give me one one second. One second. I'm just going to check my. That's 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 awesome, by the way. I'm just gonna check my microphone to make sure it's can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. No, awesome. Um cool. Okay. So by the way, nothing. there's nothing off limits. Don't don't be afraid of saying any word that you don't wanna okay. you know that you're afraid of. Just go there.
0: We are recording, no, right? <laughs> we are recording. Yeah,
1: cool. <laughs> we are recording. Yeah, hey, we've started, by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. Oh good.
1: Okay. So I guess there's also this Um, when, when there's some sort of anxiety around where the jurisdiction is going that you're in, specifically the country, like if you feel like the country is going in a direction which you're not necessarily happy with, and I know there's a growing portion of people here in New Zealand specifically that are feeling like that. And some of them are taking action and leaving only to inevitably, in my view, probably come back and then complain that everything has gone up in price. But putting that aside, there is a certain sort of, um, I guess, it's like getting married with somebody, right? Like there's an, there's an exchange of um, consideration, and in exchange for like a contract to be unioned to them, right? And when you are connecting yourself to the land that you're that you're in, often, at least from a European perspective, it takes the form of staking a claim of ownership in it. And then that is what binds you to that country and in a hopefully a good way, forces you to commit to making that country better by working hard, paying taxes, and hopefully trusting that good politicians will spend it wisely and make the country better in the process. Um, you, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but I'm, I'm kind of gathering that for a whole host of reasons, you're not really comfortable where New Zealand is going and if we were to break that down or unpack it a little bit, what would be or I guess where did that come from or what was the the most obvious time where that became evident to you that you didn't like where New Zealand was going
0: um I think starting off you know this this can can become a political discussion, but I think that is it's also worth mentioning that i'm I'm over politics you know I think the, the idea of the nation state I mean it is a collective hallucination, and I you know, I, I like, I think Wellington, Wellington where I'm based, is, is, you know, I've got friends here, this this is my place, Hawke's Bay is my place, but I have no time for Auckland, um, I have no time for many other parts of this country, and I think straight away the context of discussing a nation and talking about New Zealand as if it's us, as if it's me, as if, you know, we have a connection to uh, these islands, I think... That's uh, increasingly, um, you know, it's it's sort of like longing for, for empire. It's longing for some former way of organizing society in which it's no longer relevant. You know, I don't hang a picture of the Queen or King Charles on, on the wall. And, and But, you know, that's the kind of thing that maybe, you know, your grandparents would have done, you know. And so... I think the allegiance to New Zealand uh, is certainly, for me, has disappeared completely, you know. Um, You know, what is it, the All Blacks and the National Anthem, uh, maybe some Wheat Weetbix, but all of those things are are pretty superficial and irrelevant. Um, And I look at that sort of collective identity, and and really this has come to the fore, I think, over the last few years, Um, you know, the COVID lockdowns and a few other things sort of contributed to that. but. Certainly, the governments, uh, the, the governments, you know, custodying the the, the New Zealand identity um, and trying to say, you know, we are, you know, that kind of collective language. I, I think they're certainly disingenuous. You know, that's not that's not us. They don't represent us. And I can still, you know, I enjoy, you know, a lot of aspects of New Zealand society and culture. But I think the nation building project has finished. You know, it's long gone, and arguably it, it died in the in the eighties with the neoliberal reforms. And so this idea that you know you could kind of settle down and and have a good life is, is I think rooted in a previous generation, you know, the generation of my parents and grandparents. And for younger people who are increasingly globalised, um, they're seeing media come in from more, you know, from overseas. They're travelling more. I think, um, you know, they're seeing the rest of the world and they're seeing less barriers between themselves and 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 the other. Um, and I think, man, you know, things aren't so great here, but, you know, I can go to this other place, which I always had this preconception that was, you know, a poor country or whatever, but actually it's great and it's in the ascendancy. Um, and, and so I think just the context of that, it's it's not like New Zealand's gone off the tracks or gone off the rails. I, I think the nation state project, you know, this kind of uh, welfare state democracy thing that, you know, they talk about in The Sovereign Individual, which I mentioned to you um and in, in, in the email yeah. you know this this, this yeah. idea that you know we have a government and we work in power taxes and you know it's going to be okay i, I think that's that's pretty much uh you know, on the way out
1: okay let's unpack that then so the sovereign individual yeah we, we talked about that before pushing record and i've heard you mention this before i haven't read it yet i've um seen a few excerpts from it just like preparing for this just to make sure i, I knew roughly what it was about uh James Dale Davidson, Lord William Rees Morgan, I think that is. I can't read my own writing. Um, Great book. One of of the things I saw around that book was like just interviewing the, um, somebody was interviewing the author, one of the authors of The Sovereign Individual, and some of his views that he was sharing were just really, really rubbing people the wrong way. You could read the comments in the comment section, just some of his views, and it reminded me a lot about another book which isn't too dissimilar in terms of lifting the veil on how things actually work and where things are actually going. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island yeah. um, by G. Edward Griffin. Have you ever, ever read that book?
0: Um, I am familiar with it. It's about the Fed, right?
1: Yeah, it's about the origin yeah. of, of the U.S. Fed. And again, like it for it's like one of the Bibles, I guess, or the core texts that anybody who believes, I guess, in... Financial reform, true financial reform, will probably stumble across one or both of those books. Another one would be the Bitcoin Standard by Saif Adinamus. and these are these are great books because they they contain some core ideas. The sovereign individual, from what I understand, is is that pretty much just about. And it was written back in when was this nineteen ninety seven I think it was. Yeah, it was when it was written.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's very. Uh, um... You know, it it was 1997, but it's uncanny how much it predicted um, in terms of where we're at today in 2023. And uh, certainly, I I guess if I was to summarise it, really it's a reflection and a study of what what the authors refer to as mega political changes. So these are things bigger than, you know, are you going to vote for that party or this party? It's actually things much uh, more impactful, things like technology, climate geography, these things that impact uh, the organization of society and Effectively, the logic of violence, which um, is, is kind of, people get confused, you know, what does that mean? Effectively, it's, you know, who has the power to coerce and to run society? And so historically, you had things like feudal lords or kings or, you know, these different power structures. And over time, you know, they've evolved and changed. And it's been mega political changes, things like technology that have influenced that. And so, you know, the recent example, or, you know, the modern era, you know, really was kicked off with the, the printing press which you know, was able to disseminate knowledge in a new way. And so that led to uh, kind of the fracturing of the power of the, um, you know, the, the Holy Roman Church yeah. um, and the, the ability of, of churches to sort of control society. And it led to this, um, uh, you know, this change, in the mega, a mega political change that uh, impacted society. And, and there were things that disappeared along the way. And so sort of prior to that, you had this chivalry, the kind of knights in shining armor, all of that stuff. And you, you saw it just sort of evaporate. And it, they didn't have a feudal society because of chivalry. They had chivalry because they had a feudal society. And I, I guess bringing that to today, and I mean, there's obviously a lot more. It's a huge book. But, you know, where we're at today is, you know, we're in this sort of transition phase from a, uh, a welfare state democracy and industrial society of, say, the 20th century, you know, the society of World War II and the atom bomb and putting men on the moon through to an information society and the organization of that society changes as you go through that transition so you know the um the, the feudal kind of the the parishes and these kind of these these old ways of organizing society the greek city-states you know that they, they evolved as these mega political changes come downrange, and so sort of you know where we're at today, and, and sort of what the sovereign individual talks about. You know, for for the future in this information age is kind of the evaporation and the disassociation of the, the nation state, because really the nation state is really only in existence because of the centralizing forces of uh, you know technology and the importance of having uh, you know the return the the ability to coerce and uh, exert power is only possible with very you know large democracies. Uh, you know, places like the United States or, or even smaller countries, you know, they're, they're centralized entities and that's the only way they could exist because if they didn't do it and they weren't centralized and they weren't, um, you know, democratic in that approach, then another country would come in and fight them. And so, you know, you, you, if it was a you know, a nation state democracy versus a small uh, religious order or a small um, fraternity or some other way of organizing society, the nation state always wins, you um, because it's able to tax people the most and it's the most productive way to get tax revenue is to have a democracy a large you know democracy um and so there's all of these kind of things floating around right we've got a you know industrial base uh, a, a nation state you know the development of passports the development of mm. uh, you know international travel the d- development of local national identity you know this is all very modern uh, mm. and it's quite strange in a way you know you have something like new zealand like what well, what does that even mean? And New Zealand's actually kind of a perfect way to look at this because, you know, at what point did the New Zealand identity emerge? At what point were we separate from the state of Victoria or New South Wales or, you know, Mother England? You know, when did that become a thing? And it really, you know, you can trace it all back. It's only very recent that we had that, you know, and things like national anthems or or flags or sports teams, they're all these kind of artifacts of the nation state. And if you look at it today, though, I mean, who cares? Like, who even knows what the New Zealand National Anthem is? I don't know if the kids even still sing it in school. So there's this kind of historical right, relationship to, to nation building uh, which aligns people, you know, let's build the railway, let's you know, let's be one, you know, and, and it's very, it's a very centralising power. But right now where we're at, you know, you look at sort of the, 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 the politics of the, you know, the clown world, as they say, this kind of internal tribalism, this internal destruction of the of the nation state, that's starting to tear it apart. And it's no longer relevant. Like who who who's going to go and fight in a war for New Zealand? You know, like who's going to line up and and sing the national anthem? It's not relevant anymore. And so we're holding on to this nostalgia for, you know, the old New Zealand of the 20th century. Yet the reality is we live in a globalised world where the only thing I really care about is just having a passport and being able to go and paying as little tax as possible. Um, And if I can go somewhere where the the benefits of living there are better, then I'm going to go there. And, you know, I can lament about the old days growing up and going to the beach, but um, if the the economic reality is not there anymore, then I'm out of here.
1: Yeah, wow. Okay. There's a lot in that. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. No, that, that's, that's awesome. A lot, a lot of good stuff in that. And and I, I hope, my sincere hope is that people are, are mildly perturbed by what you just said there because it'll get them to think, right? Hopefully think for themselves. Is this true? Is, is there really some sort of nostalgic vision of New Zealand that we're clinging on to that we're sometimes fighting for? Either ideologically or physically fighting for? Um, or is it inevitable that the rest of the world is actually changing and we are witnessing maybe the fall of the nation state system and the rise of the, I don't know what you call that, like the digital state or just the, the yeah. rise of the digital realm, right?
0: Yeah, and and I guess just bringing it back a little bit because I mean this is pretty intense, you know what we've just talked about. You know, there's there's a lot there, and and it could kind of seem a bit woo woo to be honest. But I, I think not, not it, for me,
1: Cody. You can you can turn up the woo woo to twelve, and it doesn't really phase but, me. Trust me.
0: But but <laughs> I, I guess the, the the bigger thing is the, the, again the naivety, you know. And let's bring this back. You know, if you live in the Bay of Plenty, you've got your house, you have got your boat. You know, you go down to the fish and chip store. You know, these kind of images of, you know, New Zealand, and and you 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 can. You can put it out there and say okay this is this is new zealand this is what i think new zealand is but the reality is so far from that now and you look at the ram raids you look at the shootings you look at the killings you look at the murder you look at the the influx of different uh you know global globalizing forces and and you know we're still this island you know so we haven't necessarily got this the 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 people coming over on 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 rafts like you see in the uk in different places but there's a you know a free flow of people and they will make their way here you know new zealand kind of has a really strong brand image and so people will fight to get here and i'm not saying that's a negative or a positive that's just the reality of a globalized world and so mm. we've kind of i don't know in a way the the birth of a nation is or the death of a nation is often found in the birth of a nation and if you look at what how new zealand was founded you know where we came from um, the way something like the moa or, you know, these giant birds and stuff, they were just so helpless when people came. Um, that's kind of, in a way, what's being reflected here. I think New Zealand's extremely naive to political influence, to, you know, countries that have actually had to fight. And, and I think w- when you see that, um, that naivety, you know, it's sort of like the, the, the moa just standing there waiting to get, get sh- you know, get killed in a way i i see that you know i see that in the way we approach business you know you know she'll be right mate kind of kind of stuff and and then if you also look at some of the historical issues around you know um you know the land wars and and some of these other issues which have you know they're, they're boiling to the surface they've always been there but they' you know they're, they're becoming more prominent and you think about sort of that relationship to the land to the whenua and you say, well you know yeah you can sure you can own you can own land here you can own a house you can own productive land but what is your relationship with those workers if we're pu- pulling them in from tonga or samoa you know to come over here to, to pick apples once a year Eventually, they're going to want to have a bit of a stake. Otherwise, they're not going to be, um, you know, happy to just continue being, you know, workers. You know, that's sort of this classic idea that the worker, you know, you can have a landed gentry, and the workers will just keep working away, you know, humbly. You know, it's like, yeah, eventually there'll come a time and they'll be like, oh, actually, I, I want this. You know, I've I've done enough work. I've built this orchard up. I've built this farm up over many decades working here. My family's worked here. You know, it's time for you to give it give it to me and. That's a very. I think New Zealanders don't think like that. They don't see land reform. They don't see confiscation of land. They don't see what you saw in South Africa, Zimbabwe, post-war Japan, different places where there was a, a power structure and then that got broken down and went through a revolution. And I think we're very naive in our our, our ability to conceptualise revolution here locally. Because again, she'll be right. You know, we've had it good. You know, ice cream on a Sunday at the beach. You know, like you know, we don't we don't see conflict and. Um, uh, that kind of internal struggle as part of our identity, but actually, if you go back, it's there, you know. And the great drive through to, um, you know, past Hamilton and and the kind of the Maori land wars, battle battles with the Taranaki tribes and stuff. I mean, that was brutal fighting. You know, people um, fought. And, you know, there was there was there was violence there, and it was still kind of it's still in the land in a way. And I, I don't know, like I'm not I'm not making this into a race thing, but it's 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 certainly the. You know, it wasn't built upon, um, I think, a fair fair principles initially, and we've kind of tried to plaster over that, and I think it will rear its head again as something that's very problematic, and the naivety will be swept. You know, people are just going to be gobsmacked when when it when things like that start becoming more common. I think.
1: Wow. Okay. And this all is linked, like in my view, anyway. What happens? what happens in the land happens to the people, but also what what's on top of it, the structures that we put on top of it, like the financial system where we have rights to occupy crusts, bits of crusts of the earth, like by buying homes, as that almost goes through a dying process, like the current financial system is in my view, uh, inevitably at some stage, maybe it's not in the next five years, maybe it's in 50 years, I don't know, but it will come to an end. And I think while that's happening, on top of land where these issues are starting to bubble up. It just kind of feels like add it to the list of all these other trends that
0: seem to be coming to a, to a climax. Um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, ownership, I think, is, is really the question here. Like what, you know, you, you have this piece of paper, you have this, um, you know, this uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's even a deed or whatever in New Zealand. But, you know, what you know, what make what makes you the owner of something? and really you know it's only through the government's mandate that you have ownership of land and, and that's uh, I think a construction that people haven't really critically looked at but you only have to look back at the Christchurch earthquakes and the EQC um, and you know people being red zoned and more recently for my you know my experience in Hawke's Bay with the flooding you know yeah. like you don't own a house that the, gov- the government has said you can't live in yeah you, that's you right.
1: know what I mean or, or and, even Maui right in, in uh, Hawaii
0: yeah you know and maybe you know you can get an insurance claim or, or whatever but it's not yours you know you're leasing it off off the government and you're leasing it off you know the the down payment on that is the idea that there's a government that you believe in and i think that's where things get a bit messy and a bit you know a bit kind of strange because you know we we've seen only recently you know say last 10 10 15 years and with christchurch this idea that the land you know and, and new zealand's you know, ge- geologically active. You know, so there's just flooding, earthquakes, all of that, of course. But then on top of that, things like confiscation, things like rates, things like um, you know taxation. You know, because, and again, there's there's this, this some challenges here. But the New Zealand, you know, the, you own a home, you, you're a sitting duck for rates increases. And I was talking to someone recently, and they just said they've had a twenty percent rate rate hike uh, for their property. And I think, man, you know, that's you can't run away from that. Um, and and I think that's part of this megapolitical change that we saw, and, and so that the historical example of the move from feudalism to towards a modern society, um, or, or even further back, the move from nomadic sort of hunter gatherers through to farm society, it was inevitably resulted in a change in the way taxes were collected because it's a lot easier to tax a farm, you know, they're a sitting duck, than it is to tax a nomadic tribe. And you know you've, you've got a capital investment, you've built this thing up, you've built up up a house or, or you know farmland that that makes you the first place that people are going to come and say, "Hey, you know can you cough up?" and so I think there's some ch- challenges there as well, you know like mm-hmm. um, yeah
1: okay, so from what I'm gathering so far in terms of like that question, why wouldn't you want to own a home so far, I'm kind of getting that there's some specific issues with this nation in particular but then there's also an issue that you would have with the whole concept of a nation state anyway and you see property potentially as being like hotel california right once you get in you just can't get out and it's a it's a trap to be to be basically taxed to death is is, i'm being extreme but am i getting warm there
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely warmer. And again, I, I'm approaching all of this with a dichotomy. I mean, man, I might end up just retiring to Havelock North one day and, and having a good old a good old life, you know. And, and so I say this yeah. somewhat in, in kind of two minds, um, but you know, kind of where where it stands today, I think uh, I don't see again. You know, I don't see the value proposition there. Um, I think there's a lot of structural changes. And if I compare it with say the the uh, opportunity with something like Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Which is money that's unconfiscatable that I can, you know, I can take, I can take it with me. Um, yeah. I can, you know, I can go overseas um, and and do what I need to do and actually build my my career up professionally, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's a lot cheaper as well. Okay. Um, and okay. if well, I don't like the place, yeah, sorry.
1: You you move on, right? Yeah, like if you don't yeah. like the place, to move on. But let's let's yeah. talk about that though, because again, that's almost like an idea born out of the sovereign individual book again, from what I understand, <laughs> right? The idea that these governments are service providers. I love this concept, by the way. Governments are service providers. The people are in charge and the people engage a service provider. And if they're not doing any good, then they either fire that provider or they move to another country or jurisdiction where they're being treated better. And you get this situation where these service providers, these governments are effectively competing and under competitive pressure to provide a better place so that they can attract you with lower taxes, better services, better opportunities. Is that just a bunch of idealism or is that actually possible? Have we seen any examples of that starting to happen in the world?
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The The, the idea of, um, I mean, it's, it's funny because there's, there's kind of two, that rea- that what you just said, but in two ways is kind of happening at the same time because there's the service provider of the welfare state government, which I think is is challenging because it kind of tries to be everything for everyone and you've got you know just a country of you know you know un- unheard of amounts of public sector employees and then you've got the the, the lightweight government of an actual you know nimble um, service provider and so there's kind of these two almost competing realities and I, I remember i bumped into someone on the street the other day a friend of mine from jiu jitsu and you're saying he works in the um, ministry of social development around um, making sure Pete, the customers, you know, they call the, the, you know, these people customers, are happy with the service they're getting in terms of how they get their benefits and, you know, the interface and, and all of that. And and I thought that was really interesting. So there, there is like little murmurs where, you know, the existing government structure, it's trying to approach uh, its relationship with with citizens as, as kind of that customer focus. You know, is it a good user experience? Is it easy? That sort of thing. But I think the fundamental concept of, of a government that does all things um, and it's just sometimes you know ridiculous some of these ministries and departments and, and and you know steering groups they have you know you probably never heard of them but they're spending millions of dollars on stuff that's pretty useless. Um, you know I don't see that as a lightweight nimble government I see that as bloat um, and so coming back to like this idea that mate, you know well what if you just go to the place where things are good? Um, and, and I think providing some context of like what that might look like you know and so, you know, New Zealand, I think people still have this image that, you know, it's a safe, uh, nice place to live. It's, you know, it's good. And, and I mean, there, it should, certainly it has that brand image. But, um, you know, I just have have a look at crime as the one that stands out for me. You know, like this isn't the New Zealand I grew up in where dairy owners are getting murdered. You know, people are doing ram raids, um, all of that stuff. And it's more up up your way. But still, we get a lot of it here. Um, and, and straight away, I look at that and I'm like, oh, you know, what, what happened? Because, I, I feel a million times safer walking down the streets of Tokyo, Taipei, Bangkok, Shanghai than I do in Auckland or Hamilton mm. uh, or Christchurch. You, you know what I mean? And mm. it's just been this slow, slow transition. And so, okay, mm. so straight away, that's one thing that's off. Um, you look at healthcare, and this is a real shocker. You know, I mean, honestly, man, I, I actually don't have a GP. Um, it's, it's hard to get one in Wellington, and it's just a mission. Um, And I compare that with my experience in in other countries, and I think, man, I'm happy to pay. Um, I'm happy to just go and and be served and be in and out, you know? And Mm. the way we've done it here, it's like we've tried to make it into a service, but we've done it so poorly and with this kind of grand scale that everything just kind of sucks. And so if I (laughs) – you you know what I mean? Like, Honestly, I remember I got got sick. um, I got a bit ill when I was in Thailand last, and I just walked five minutes to the nearest hospital, Someone saw me within 15 minutes. I got what, you know, some medicine and, and saw a really qualified doctor. You know, great facilities. And I compare that to the 10-hour wait last time I had to go to the emergency room uh, with someone in Wellington. And just the utter, um, uh, it's kind of the humiliation of just sitting there. People with broken arms and stuff, you know. And it's like, unless you're dying on the floor, they're not going to yeah. go and see you. And it's like, why, how did we get to that point? That's not what yeah. I paid for that's not what i signed up for
1: no um, and it hurts like the more the more you pay in tax the more it hurts like I mean, i'm approaching well, well north of six figures myself in tax it it hurts because you want that money to be spent well to actually improve things that's what you've been sold that's what you've been told but you're not even getting to see the doctor when your kid has an ear infection like you've, you've got well, to go um, by some ungodly hour at night
0: I think the the idea that taxes are somehow paying for that is is a fallacy as well. I mean, they're not. I mean, we're we're this country is living in debt. You know, it's um it's just just we're in this transition between I think, uh you know a, in a society that is you know financially sound and actually you know tax intake is then being uh, prudently spent on the things that where it needs to be spent, and then a society that's just free for all. And, and and it's kind of the optics of of that. You know, you're looking at forty thousand uh, dollar farewell parties for. You know, executives of some ministry that no one's ever heard of. And, and I think, man, that's how many people's tax take has been consumed in a, a, a you know, in, in, a, in a farewell dinner? That's just offensive. A, yeah. A, 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 and and that, that's a, a sign, though. And, and this is something that they mentioned in the sovereign individual sort of as you get to the end of these uh, mega political phases, kind of the resentment and the kind of uh, skepticism, cynicism towards the existing power structure becomes so palpable. Um, you know, towards the end of, say, the, the Holy Roman Church and its sort of role in feudal society, you know, people just had such disrespect and, and kind of hatred for, you know, the low-level clergy who were just seen as milking it, you know, and they had all the land, all the goods, you know, they're getting their tithe on top of that. And, and we're seeing that now. It's like we have this kind of class of political actors who are just sort of waddling around, you know, spending money willy-nilly because they know the gravy chain, the gravy train's um, going to run out, so they'll just get in while they can. And if you're invested in that system, though, it's really hard. It's kind of cognitive dissonance to be like, well, you know, maybe I can, if I vote for the right person, it's going to fix all this. But I don't, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. And I'm, like, as we have in this conversation, I'm just trying to figure out, is this, is this Cody who has these views or is this a growing population? I see people that primarily want to own property. And so for me, none of this really kind of comes up in my day-to-day conversations with people. It does in my head when I when I think about where this all goes and what comes next. But would you say like, obviously, you, you have friends that, that are probably at a similar age and stage as you and, and perhaps similar views or opposing views is my, my, my suspicion as well. Is this a in your view, is this a growing population within New Zealand that is starting to feel like this? Like there, there's a growing movement, almost like trying to push a rage against the machine type thing.
0: Uh, so uh, certainly, I think this is not a popular movement. I don't think this is very common at all. I don't think uh, there's. Um, I think most people would be just as you said. You know, the, you know, young people think they they they, they still have the dream. Um, they still aspire to be part of of the nation of New Zealand. Um, you know, certainly, you know, friends and family of mine are in that position. I think the challenge, though, is if you play that scenario out, and again, this you know this can, can go many ways, but. If you play that scenario out, you know, what are you left with? Uh, you know, if if the the people who see who, who see another way, you know, they, they disappear, you're left with a nation of landed gentry and then beneficiaries. You know, there's not um, – it's kind of the two ends, right? You've got, you know, yeah. the, the guy's got a portfolio of houses on this end and then a kind of aura building, you know, public uh, – you know, social housing on this end and those are the only people who own a house yeah, and, or, you know, have, have, have belonging. And then there's this, I think also that the the relationship of New Zealand to the global stage, you know, like the, the people who just sort of work locally, you know, they've got a job here, they just um, kind of just have trying to have you know live their life. They're not going to be able to compete or or work in a position that's actually creating much wealth, and so you start creating you know having this society uh, this aspect of society that's uh, yeah. you know they they haven't got anything, you know, they're, they're sort yeah. of um, un, unattached and yeah. i think that's where you start seeing the social problems emerge and then it becomes a sort of a feedback loop and so it's it's not like a single dimension i'm looking at here it's sort of like and again this is all just you know ideas but if you've got a new zealand that's uncompetitive you know rural sector gets destroyed um you know t- uh, regulated out of existence you've got you know, service sector workers who are struggling. You know, cost of living, inflation continuing to, to eat away at their purchasing power. They're never going to own a house. Maybe they're renting. They're less interested in being part of you know the social fabric. Um, you've got these kind of landed gentry beneficiaries. All these people, ultimately unproductive. You know, pretty low efficiency. Um, they're not going to be able to compete with a country that's actually, or you know, people of a country who are, uh, you know, innovative, pushing forward, and not bound and limited by that way of thinking. And that's where I see the longer term trajectory, unless there's some major changes, where New Zealand becomes a low income country, it becomes less uh, productive. um, And we have these kind of legacy uh, things from the 20th century, uh, from the 19th century, that have kind of continued to make us feel like we're actually developed and wealthy, but actually we're slowly losing it over time. Um, And the people who get out, they get out, but the people who stay in, they're they're sort of locked into that death spiral, perhaps.
1: Mm. (laughs) yeah um, okay take me to a happy place cody um yeah <laughs> take me to a take me to an orange place so let, let's let's talk about one, one of the solutions because we kind of probably in the imagination of many listening they might be thinking well surely there's a country surely there's a country or there's even a shipping container somewhere we can all live in where we're safe from from all this and we can we can set our own rules and be the masters well, of our own destiny right but it doesn't have to be a physical place does it
0: well i think again and, and i am conscious that this is coming off pretty you know it, it, it seems negative right but the reality is i think for you know for your generation for my parents generation people you know you, you guys are going to be fine you know like this this is still i think a, a long way away um things take their time to get here um and and who knows there might something else might happen in the meantime but I think you, you only have to throw your mind back to the 1980s, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, if you may, and sort of what New Zealand was. Or then you go back further to the 60s and socialist New Zealand and sort of where we were sort of post war. Yeah. And you look at sort of the decades, and, and it was sort of slowly but surely things have changed. And so I think the New Zealand of 1960. Or 1970 of you know state houses of full, full employment of the state sector managing everything, in a way we're so far from that. But in the other in the other direction, we're also very close to coming back to that. And okay. um, the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe it all works out. But in yeah. terms of what our, my approach and sort of what what I'm looking at here, it's, I don't think it's a collective. You know, that we can go and there's this magical place we can go to. I think it comes back to to the individual and, and back to the family and to families making decisions for the way they approach you know the uh, life and, and sort of these major decisions and so some of the principles that i come back to are things like dynamism uh and and motion so if things if things suck in a place you know get out Um, you can discover a lot by traveling and going to other countries and you know business opportunities developing your skills being kind of dynamic in that sense I think is really powerful Um, but also the ability of doing things like remote work um, you know broadening your horizon beyond what New Zealand you know just the islands of New Zealand Uh, because there's not much here really you know you do need to be working globally and I think kind of a success strategy is looking at what's happening in the world. And, and maybe you, you live here and you're domiciled in New Zealand, but I think success looks like, you know, making US dollars, making um, uh, Bitcoin, making, making projects and work happen globally. And then you, you can kind of bring that back here. And as things sort of crumble around you, you you've still got this, um, you know, something that's, um, that's solid. And so it's, I think it's an approach to, to work as well so it's sort of an approach to living being dynamic being able to talk to people being able to go uh, and see what's on the other side but then also your approach to working so you know you know i think the employee employer relationship i think there's some real challenges there i think you know most people are going to end up in sort of t- some sort of contract work where it's you know you're on demand um, and 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 kind of unless you're a government employee with you know juicy benefits and a Kiwi saver most people I think are going to find that increasingly hard to come by yeah. as times get tough and so your ability to get work from overseas and and that is going to be really important uh, but at the same time you're going to be competing with everyone else for that and so there's there's going to be a lot of dynamics and I I don't know but I think I, I think it's going to be interesting um, and certainly I think looking at um in a specific place you talk about you know El salvador i mean that's sort Mm. of one one example of a place that's in in, in an ascendancy um Mm. other parts of southeast asia other parts of africa are in this ascendancy where uh, you know i often think it's like you've got scooters and skyscrapers you know that that's what you want you know you want people on the street who are you know struggling to make ends meet but they're struggling in a good way and they've gone from having less yesterday and more today even if they're still, you know, pretty low down, yeah. as opposed to a country that's like, you know, it's in the descendancy, and you know, we had more yesterday than we have today, and and the the difference in trajectory of those two things is is sort of, I guess, the underlying theme that I'm looking at here, um, mm. with with regards to New Zealand, yeah,
1: yeah. So there's like a crossover point where the descendancy meets the ascendancy of another nation, and then it's like, there's your there's your indicator, right, where if you're optimizing for all things you would then shift where you're domiciled from but financially at the very least what you're saying before is interesting so increasing your sources of revenue so that increasingly they come out of new zealand so that i guess that makes it easier to up sticks and move to another country if required right but also the type of income we or the type of wealth we tried to build i'm curious just to dig into your views on Bitcoin a little bit more because none of this would be that exciting or none of this would have any hope in it at all unless there was something new like the creative part of the creative destruction that seems to be happening when things are descending. There's actually another cool story of something else that's being built. So how do you how do you approach wealth building? So let's go back to the start, you know, houses largely financialized if you don't want to buy into that. You don't see value in that. Then obviously you want to put your value into something. And I know you're a Bitcoiner, so why don't you tell me um, about that? How you, how you view Bitcoin as your as your way of building wealth?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's hard money. You know, it's it's um, you know, for people who are into gold and, and and that sort of thing. I mean, it's it's like that, but way better. Um, you know, basically, and you can carry it around with you in your pocket. You know, no matter no matter how much you've got, um, and and so. For me, that that's it's, it's so easy and, and sort of, <laughs> you know, looking at uh, KiwiSaver, um, looking at uh, these different kind of schemes and investment vehicles and things, and I think, man, wh- why do we have all of this complexity? You know, wh- why should I have to care about investing in companies that I don't really know much about? You know, I think it's a, you know, if you've got a company that you're working in, I think it's a good idea or that your friends are working in, you know, it's a good idea to learn about it. And if there's an opportunity to invest in that, I think that's great. You know, it could be a great idea, but if you're just looking at index funds you know and you're looking at KiwiSaver and you're trying to target a certain return it's like you're not even investing in anything you're just inv- you're investing te- you know well you're investing in the success the of the nation the, the market and the nation right Yeah. and yeah. that can all go you know go away and um, I don't know that just for me that's like that's that's the risk yeah. um, and obviously, obviously you can't put money in a bank account anymore so it's like well what are you going to do with it um, you can you know, you can put it in this asset such as Bitcoin um, that is, you know, it's got a hard supply. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, provably scarce. Um, It's really hard to come by. And it's been around, you know, you know, and and in its current form, oh, it's been around for, what, 13, 14 years now without any issues. It's just, you know, it just keeps on going. And, And I look at that number and I'm like, okay, well, every day that I've got more Satoshis, you know, I'm am a little bit richer, and everything else is just background noise, um, yeah. because a house can be taken away from you, gold can be confiscated, um, you know, stocks can get frozen, liquidated, um, there can be capital controls, you know, all sorts of shenanigans, and yes, I mean, I, I just look at I often tell the story about my friend from Zimbabwe. You know, he, he, they had they had to escape with the clothes on their back. You know, and um, that's. I don't think that's an unrealistic scenario. You know, we live in a free, you know, kind of relatively free banking system at the moment. But when things start getting difficult and the New Zealand dollar goes in the wrong direction, you know, you know, you, you bet they're going to start looking at capital controls and they're going to start trying to tweak the way that you can spend your money. And so even the money that you have isn't isn't yours. Um, you know, your stock ownership if you if you do some. Um, You know, if you look into it, you know, that stuff can be frozen. Assets can be taken from you. And I don't know, that the idea of true ownership, I think, has only become possible with Bitcoin. You know, you've got your 12-word seed phrase, you you know, it's your Bitcoin, no one can take it. Um, There's something profoundly liberating about that. And I don't think that idea has fully caught on (laughs) with most people yet. Because once it does, it's going to be ridiculous. But
1: yeah, um, well, certainly... Certainly in countries like New Zealand and, and like other countries, I'm sure, where we have a relatively functioning government and financial system and high degree of faith in it, uh, maybe because of ignorance. Um, we, we probably don't see it like the MOA, you could say, just kind of waiting to be slaughtered would be an extreme way of putting it. But I always kind of look at the way that people invest as, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a blend between having concentrated strategies and diversified strategies one will maybe that does pay off and it pays off really big but the other one it's not going to be as much of a massive payoff but you're investing in the market and that takes care of you but what you're saying is that if we zoom out and look at this a little bit differently everything is concentrated within a system which arguably is is going through some degree of Phenomenal change, the rate of which we don 't we can 't really gauge that very well we don 't know if it's going to be all of a sudden all at once there 's a catalyst or it 's just going to slowly happen over decades, but either way it 's going through a change and so if you 're still investing according to how you always have in the same things, you are actually concentrated in a style or a flavor, even an asset type that was from the past, not necessarily from the future right do you, you kind of think of it like that with bitcoin that this is probably the only thing that gives me peace when I'm putting my value into something.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think, um, I mean, even just the, the meta-analysis here of what investing is and why it's even relevant. You know, like, hmm. it's because you've got surplus value and you've got money burning a hole in the bank. You know, the, the, the inflation's burning burning your You know, your, your money's melting away um, through your fingers, and so you need to invest it in something. But if you if we flip that with a hard money standard so you know a completely different reality but uh, certainly one that's kind of emerging and, uh, and you know, sorry you just,
1: cody you, just just for, our, for just for our listeners like like hard money in, in the context of, of bitcoin what, what do you mean by that
0: so fixed supply um uh, a low uh, a low stock to flow ratio um yeah, so not not too much of it being created yeah um, sorry, yeah, would it be a low stock-to-flow ratio high stock-to-flow ratio? But I guess the idea that there's less being, there's there's a lot less that comes becomes available every year than there is from the existing supply. So gold is kind of the analogy. It's, it's really, you know, there's only a little bit of extra gold is found every year, but the, the stock, the existing stock is, um, yeah. you yeah. know, there's, there's a lot more. So that's kind of hard money, right? So it can't be printed. Um, mm. yeah. You can't print gold. Um, so yeah. in that sense, um, you know, having hard money, um, it really changes the dynamic. And so the idea of investing, um you know under hard money you just you, you just you know maybe you have gold coins or something you just you just put them away you know and you, you sit on mm. them you know there's unless there's a, a business venture again something maybe that your friend or your fa- family members like undertaking that you're directly involved in and there's a real clear opportunity for you to be part of that mm. um, there's not really a, a use case for investing you know it's it's yeah. maybe it's the, the domain of professionals um, but in terms of like me and my friends and my, my colleagues having to have like a KiwiSaver account that's investing into something or whatever. It's, it's like, um, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. And how could you expect? I mean, obviously, you're a professional, but how could you expect a normal person to even have a look at that and, and understand that? Um, mm. And the, the answer is you can't, you know, it's not possible. And so you've got people playing around with sharesies you know um, like it's a video game you know
1: yeah well that and that's that's my 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 frustration with with this whole thing because you know like i'm I'm in the industry i'm trying to i'm trying to encourage people to invest and i'm trying to encourage people to lower their time preferences so that just means that they they want to take some of their value today and throw it into the future and defer immediate gratification for something better tomorrow right but the way to do that is to, I guess, show or prove the incentive to do that. Like, for example, if you buy an investment property, it always goes up, hopefully, over time. If you put it into a well-managed share portfolio, that always goes up over time. That's great. But when the faith in that narrative starts to be challenged, or dare I say, if it starts to fail occasionally, then people kind of bring their preference way they want to consume more and I guess from an inflation point of view hey that's that's actually a risk right if more people start consuming more today rather than deferring consumption today for a better return tomorrow that can really mess up the economy so faith in future assets paying off better it's kind of hard baked into the system so what I find with Bitcoin that's really helpful when I talk to people about it is that it's the ultimate type of investment Because you really are putting faith in something that is not really um, proven by history necessarily, not not directly. It's proven by mathematics. What can you have faith in easier mathematics or a chart of the last 50 years, you know? I don't know if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, yeah. So – I guess if, if I can put it simply like what's my investment strategy is like just to get as much Bitcoin as possible. It's a good <laughs> um, strategy. <man. laughs> and, and, and then the way I do that is I invest in myself. And so, um, you know, I treat myself like, you know, I'm, I am a business, you know, I'm, uh, I, I am the capital. Um, and so I develop, you know, IP. I develop. Uh, you know, got a few different projects going on, as you know, and so I, I work on that, and I try to encourage those around me to do that. And this is where some of the Bitcoin principles come through around proof of work and building and being, um, you know, focused on on outcomes. Because you know, a house doesn't produce any value. Um, you know, a, an index fund does not produce any value. However, if you have a, a business or you run, you know, you're running something, that creates value and that, it puts value into the into the world. And you get paid for that value and if you can, you know, you get paid in fiat or whatever, but if you can then go and use that to buy Bitcoin, you're basically taking your surplus value and you're putting it into something that has a fixed supply, okay, it's scarce. And so no matter what happens, there's only so much of it and as more people get on onto that network, um, the value of what you've got increases. And at that point, people may think, well, you know, doesn't that require faith that people are going to continue to want to get into that and be part of that? But actually, the the way Bitcoin works is like it doesn't really matter because you've got the halving cycle, which um, you know basically means every four years you've got this uh, reduction in the, the supply of new Bitcoin coming online, uh, which pretty much coincides with the BMR mar- uh, the bull market um, and and the number go up um, trajectory yeah. of Bitcoin, and so yeah. it's kind of like yeah you, you you you're going to get in eventually, and and if someone's not a Bitcoiner yet, they will be at some point in the future, and it's just up to them to kind of decide at what point that's going to be um and it's like then i i, I sleep easy that that's sort of the way to go um, okay. and i can just focus on my business you know
1: well i, I like what you're saying there about that cuz so, how does bitcoin change the incentive structure in your world then
0: so i i'm i'm focused on uh, yeah i mean so the incentives you know obviously i w- i want to get as much bitcoin as possible so i work hard um but i'm after it for the long term so you know we're talking You know 10 12 16 years you know plus right down the future in the future so I'm incentivized to create as much value as possible while minimizing my consumption right now leading a a minimalist life Um, um, you know not being too uh, 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 too spartan about things but you know I'm I'm not interested in in the fluff you know Um, I don't need the boat Um, (laughs) and in a way that's like I think a lot more dynamic and uh, it's yeah. So it's, it's encouraging it's, you to
1: work harder. It's encouraging you to take risk with business activities. It's encu- encouraging you to defer consumption and spend money on things that you need, not not the fluff, like you say, right?
0: Yeah, and and that and the way that's sort of the the investment strategy. I think is um, you know you got to you got to you got to hustle. You know, it's like no one's going to give it to you on a, on a silver platter. You got to work hard. But yeah, having. You know, it's the the goal isn't. Oh, I'm going to get a house, and you know, I'm going to do this and that. It's like that. I mean, maybe that that's part of it, but you know, as, as we talked before about, you know, maybe I get a house overseas or, or whatnot. But that's it's right. not the it's not the golden goose that I'm aiming for here because I just don't see it necessarily holding its value long term. Um yeah. And you know, you can't do anything with it. You know, like uh, you know, you have got a house. It's like to try and sell that to liquidate that or whatever it's 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 a mission right whereas bitcoin it's 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 money right it's easy peasy you know you just use it yeah. for what it's designed for yeah um and it's the best form of savings the best form of money ever invented so yeah it's um i mean it's a no-brainer and it certainly makes my life a lot easier um, not yeah. having to worry about all the other stuff
1: yeah well i, I guess you're right like it, it it's beyond every other jurisdiction when you're holding bitcoin right you're holding a form of money that Arguably is accepted all over the world or at some stage it probably will be and so unlike a property as a store of wealth or a home as a store of wealth, you're really confined to that jurisdiction and you have to liquidate it translate it into a currency and then move it somewhere else obviously with tax and restrictions whereas with Bitcoin effectively you have 12 words in your mind you can go anywhere you want and no matter how much wealth you have it it goes with you
0: right well, so- and, and I mean lo- Let's contextualise this as well. So, I mean, I don't know if you're aware. There's a huge property crisis right now in China. Um, I had a friend recently go back there, and I mean, uh, it's it's not getting heaps of media coverage in New Zealand, but basically the um, the fallout from the Evergrande um, uh, bankruptcy and that. But basically, I think let's get this straight. I think there will always be value for heritage homes. Um, you know, uh, maybe one day, you know, I, I think it'd be nice, you know, have an old Wellington villa, you know, um, yeah. you know, native, native timber. I mean, that will always have value. It's like fine art. Okay. Someone's going to want it because of the architect and because of the, you know, the, the history and the provenance of it. But if you look at, say, what's happening in Christchurch and, and parts of Auckland, you've got investment houses built to order, um, built from a, you know, a kit set. There's no, there's no art value. There's no um, legacy value. It is an investment vehicle purely. And that I think that's the that's the bit there where yeah. you know, the, the the houses that I think people are looking at, you know, in apartments, you know, it's not even a house anymore. It's like a box. It's a box of sky that's tied to a body corporate, that's tied to, you know, the the, the building's seismic rating and all of this stuff. It's like, man, you don't own anything. And the Chinese kinda had it right. They you know, they do ninety nine year leases on houses. You don't you no one owns a house in China. It's uh, it's all leased from the party. And in a way like they, they still I mean still this really frothy property market but um they've kind of they've kind of brought it brought the brought the whole the whole thing right and so yeah. in a way I think you know the more of that you know if we covered New Zealand in these two-story duplex uh, investment vehicles the price you know who's going to want to buy all of those when you've got empty you know these empty apartment buildings and it's a bit like China right like yeah. who, who, who's going to want to do that so I guess what I'm saying like I think there are some houses and some, you know, beachfront property and things like that, which will always have value, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's a collectible. It's, it's a one-off. Yeah. But the the if everyone's, you know, trying to aim for that, they're going to build more and more. And you know, you can always build build more houses, and you can turn more farmland into housing estates and stuff. I mm. I just I don't know. I don't I don't see that playing out in a way that's uh, positive or constructive.
1: mm Okay. Well, th- like these are. Super, super fascinating ideas. And uh, s- some of this would be uncomfortable for a lot of people listening to this. And I, I apologize that you're not comfortable if that's you. Um, <laughs> it's like I would suggest, hey, you kind of have to get used to that if, if you're trying to get prepared for the world to come. We have to look at everything for what things are, not what we always just want them to be. And a lot of the future, like my personal belief is that it's probably going to be a lot similar to the past, but happening a lot faster and a bit more weird. Um, but then also there's a growing possibility that things will never be the same. And so I think yeah. we have to kind of diversify across both of those headspaces, which requires a certain amount of tension between opposing ideas. Like one is buy a property as soon as you can, pay down the debt, invest in KiwiSaver and a few other things. The other one is basically work as hard as you can and convert your surplus value into hard money which isn't under the the thumb of a government, basically.
0: Yeah, um, and and I think, look, again, being clear, you know, I'm I'm, I'm running this kind of a couple of different scenarios here. Uh, i go back i go back to hastings again i go to my grandparents place and i say man this this place has not changed in 20 20, 30 years you know and there's little there's still moments like that and and so i'm It may come across as extreme but i'm just positing kind of one one way of looking at this and i mean we could have a conversation about what you know old new zealand is and, and how it was and and in many ways how it's still there in many parts of new zealand but i think that, that doesn't really matter in the face of the global macro changes that are, that are happening and the mega political changes. And um, the, the kind of the reality that we've talked about today is, is you know, uh, Bitcoin, a laptop and a passport is, is all you need to be successful and to survive and being stuck, you know, with a home and kind of trying to defend that, trying to, you know, navigate that reality. Um, I, I can see that a reality where that becomes more and more challenging. And you know you'll you'll get people who who hold on to the very end, but I just all of the kind of putting it all into a pot and mixing it together, I see um, I see challenges, I see trauma, I see um, uh, the the ability of the state to come in and and take things and its ability to control what you do and reactionary politics, all of that playing a role in making it very challenging. Um, And look, I think houses will always have 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 value. you know, maybe for some people that's all they can aspire to, but I don't see that being a, a pathway for long-term success in a um, in a Bitcoin world, in a globalized world, in a world without, you know, a United States hegemon, a multipolar yeah. world. Yeah. Maybe, you know, you've got to get up and go. And yeah. um, it's not nice, but it's what people did in Zimbabwe, South Africa, Greece, you know, Lebanon, these different countries, yeah. they got out. And are you going to be wanting to sit here holding the bags, you know, with your with your house, or are you going to be the one on the plane with nothing? Um, because yeah. you got Bitcoin, you can take it with you. But if you don't, you can't. So.
1: Wow. Okay. That's, that's a Sorry. real voice <laughs> from the, from the watchtower there, you know, telling us what might be coming. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, Cody, tell me a little bit about the transformation of value podcast before we finish up, um, love your work. A lot of those episodes, just unbelievable production quality, the guests, the conversation, the questioning, the answers. So where can people find you and, and find that podcast
0: Yeah yeah so the, the transformation of value um, is, is my podcast It's um, New Zealand's most popular Bitcoin only podcast it's really focused on how Bitcoin uh, and associated decentralization and, and these kind of mega political changes we've talked about today how, how that all just kind of comes together so uh, you can find it um, uh, you know on your favorite podcasting app just look for the, the transformation of value. Um, I'm also on Twitter TTOV podcast. Um, and yeah, just um, search it up or, or search for me, Cody Ullingham, um, and, and you'll find me, listen along. Um, we certainly try to find a mix of New Zealand and international uh, guests to try and you know, broach different topics and how it all connects back to our situation and I guess just some of the broader changes and, and challenges that we're facing um, in yeah. the world. So yeah, I re- really enjoy it and uh, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Cody. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show. I am Cody Allingham and that was The Transformation of Value. If you would like to get in touch, please send me an email at hello at the transformation of and I will get back to you.